When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Your ears do not deceive you. You have just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. This is Brian O'Neill, media editor for Comic Book Yeti, and today I'm sitting down with Jared Lujan to talk about his project Crash and Troy, soon to be released from a blue, a wave blue world. That is so hard to pronounce. Anyway, thank you for joining me today, Jared. Thank you. Yeah, I used to get tripped up on that all the time, but at this point I say it so often it's just natural. <laughs> yeah, I keep, I'll keep wanting to say a brave new world, and I'm sure there's a correlation, but um, yeah. anyway. I know you're excited about finally getting Crash and Troy out into the world. So for those that are unfamiliar, what's the basis of the story? Uh, Two mercenary buddies. um, They kind of free an intergalactic dictator uh, and they themselves get caught and are forced to go back and get him and put him back into prison in order to avoid uh, prison time themselves and uh, a lot of uncomfortable experiences. So um, it's a story that's, really big it's really lighthearted. a lot of big action sequences we just wanted to really have fun it's a fun book but um at its heart it's really about you know masculinity and anger and how the two of those things kind of not just correlate but um damage us and damage the people around us even maybe without knowing that so i read through the first issue the first adjective to describe this this duo is it dynamic, you know, perhaps dysfunctional? So, you know, where'd the idea behind the characters come from? Man, so Crash is pretty much like me at a younger age, right? Like Crash is really angry. He's really easy to, to, to get into a, a fight um, and, and he's almost eager for it. And so Crash, and he's grumpy, right? Like he's everything that it says to him, he's grumpy, he's disgruntled about it. So Crash is really a lot of, of me, um, I also based him pretty heavily in my my late uncle Brad, who uh, was like the coolest dude I ever met. And uh, so he's kind of got this like outlaw, uh, you know, renegade, do it as do it his own way sort of thing. Um, with Troy, Troy is really is actually a, a kind of part of me as well. It's kind of me making fun of myself. I think okay. like like 
Troy makes a lot of jokes that are kind of like making fun of me, making fun of who I was as a person at, when I was in, when I was Crash um, at a younger age. And also Troy's just like a lot of my favorite elements of, of comedy. And I kind of wanted to shove that together uh, into a character that, that would be a nice, not necessarily like a balance, right? Cause he's almost like an opposite of Crash. Uh, and, and, but it, I think it's a really nice, um, that friendship and that, and that coherence is, is a really fun relationship to kind of play with. So it was definitely Crash and from Crash, I created Troy. <laughs> okay, okay. And if Troy is this part, these little pieces of you, are, are you a Meryl Streep fan then? I just got to ask. Um, I, I am a Meryl Streep fan. There you uh, go. I have, I have watched, when I was writing the book, I was watching like Mamma Mia and The Devil Wears Prada a lot um, because those are Troy's favorite movies. And I, I've seen those movies. I hate musicals. I hate okay. them. But I watched Mamma Mia because I was like, I got to know this this movie backwards and forwards because Troy knows this movie backwards and forwards. Uh, but yeah, so I have like very strong Meryl Streep opinions now. <laughs> okay, okay. Meryl Streep opinions. What, what are your strong opinions on Meryl Streep? I'm just curious here. Well, like, I think she's a, I, I honestly think she's probably one of the best actresses of her generation, right? If not ever, right? And um, there was like an online forum that like kind of dug at her because of her age and Mamma Mia. And I thought that was really weird. But um, I, I'm just really passionate about her getting the recognition that I feel like she deserves, you know? Like, I'm like, she's so good. And the Devil Wears Prada is such a good like counter to her whole career, right? Like it's such a good role. And uh, she's always cast as like the villain of that movie, but it, she's really not. It's it's the boyfriend that's kind of the villain, I think. But um, yeah, she, I just think she's fantastic. I really love her performances. Um, if I could stomach musicals on a more regular basis, I would probably watch every single one that I could find her in, but I just, I just can't. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a musical fan myself, except for the Pirates of Penzance, which is like this weird outlier and I can't explain it, but there you go. <laughs> so doing my background research, I listened to the Into the, the Comics Cave interview, interview you did with Grant and you described yourself as quote, that kid, right? I was that kid too. I was always in trouble. I've always been attracted to the bad guys in comics or at least the unlikely heroes who themselves seem to always find trouble whether they're looking for it or not. And Crash and Troy are certainly of that mold. So as a writer, you know, how, how does your own life, your own background kind of shape your stories with a little bit of a bad boy vibe in this world full of geeks that we inhabit? Yeah, I, I mean, oh man, that is a really good one. Um, I think that the, the way I grew up, right, you're, you're, I, I grew up in a place with that was a little bit rough and tumble. Um, I was a rough and tumble kid. And like, like you said, I, the thing that I really want to contribute more than anything is the unlikely heroes, uh, bad guys and looking for a redemption because that's what I saw on like a regular basis. I saw people who, uh, you know, most people wouldn't ever give a second chance uh, that were really trying to, to straighten their lives out. Um, I, you know, unlikely heroes, you know, you, we have people that get cast as, you know, undesirables in our society that are really trying to better themselves or really not cause any harm at all themselves. And I think that's kind of where my character niche is. And I mean, that's I, I, as somebody who, who considers his own life a redemption story, you know, um, up until I was like 
26, I was a piece of garbage, you know, like I, I was the worst. And, you know, thankfully between, you know, I had a really bad year and a, a lot of turmoil and um, I lost in 2016, I lost like everything in my life. And for the third time, right. Oh, wow. It was, it was the third time that I had to completely start off at scratch. And thankfully that was the one where I was like, okay, so this isn't working. <laughs> like this, this approach to things is not working because I'm running off all the people that I care about. And uh, so thankfully, like, you know, through therapy and, and um, through my relationship with my, my now wife uh, and, and a lot of my friends and my family, I was able to kind of figure out who I was and who I wanted to be. And, and that's kind of where I have a real soft spot for, you know, is that we have, there's, there's people like me, you know, I don't ever see it as like a bad boy thing, right? Like I see it as, as people who really want to do better with themselves and maybe don't know how, or, or maybe are having a hard time moving past that. Um, but yeah, and I, and I think like, I think in, in, in geek culture is, is kind of weird because there is such a, a, a beloved archetype of of the hero this is the guy especially you know in comics this is the guy he's a good guy um you know and then even even your anti-heroes are, are kind of like people who are on the right side of things but maybe do them in a less than great fashion um so i think that you know with me coming from these characters that that are a little bit more gray uh at least I think that there's there's almost like a, a people want some of that, right? Like that, that's a difference. It's it's a big departure from that, sure. and um, I, and that's something that I, I think it's been hard to kind of make that in in comics. Like I, I you know everyone is, is sort there's always sort of like a little bit of pushback when I'm telling stories like that. Um, like, do we have to make him like this, this, and that? You know, and I'm but there is like a relatable part especially of crash you know like there's a very relatable part of um who he is and and the things that he's gone through so yeah it's it's been tricky it's been very tricky to find that and to be able to tell those kind of stories but as as my career thankfully goes on um we're seeing that people are connecting with the characters that i'm bringing and uh that's been really cool to kind of watch I'm, I'm definitely not like the first ever to do it by any means but um it's definitely been exciting to see people connecting with that like that's that's where my audience has really been is is people that are connecting with those kinds of characters and that's been really fun and cool to watch over the last couple of years where i've been fortunate enough to get some of the some spotlight a little bit for myself <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the book has this Keith Giffen era Lobo dark space comedy vibe to it. So, you know, what beats were you trying to emphasize with the writing and the dialogue? You got into that a little bit, but. Yeah, I mean, um, writing comedy is super hard, right? Like, it's really complex. And so, so I, I really, but, but Kyler uh, Claudfeld, the artist, has a really, does a really good job of, of doing visual emotions like you can see the characters um kind of react and so when i was going and sitting down and writing you know dialogues and, and, and beats and i'm like is this funny um a lot of it i had to pull from kyler you know like like is is the emotion showing is is you know there's a scene that i think was in that's a little bit later in the book 
during an interrogation scene where you can see Crash. There's no, there's no joke. There's no dialogue. You can see Crash looking like shocked at Troy, right? And it's funny because there's a moment of silence, right? That there's a moment where Troy doesn't want to say anything and Crash is like having this terrible realization um, as he's surrounded by cops. And so it's really based in, in checking and making sure that the art matches what I'm doing because that I, I think that the comedy is so built into being able to build off of the way that they look and the way that they're expressing their emotions um, that, it, that that's what carries it through. That's what makes the jokes land in comics, especially, you know, um, doing dialogue and stuff was just like fun. I, I you know, it's fun to, for me, cause I'm like, these are two imaginary people in my head having a conversation, you know, I'm, I'm what, what would be funny? What's Troy's gonna say to this and how would Crash react to that and, and, and making that puzzle. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to, you know, can I fit that in with, does that work with Kyler's art? because if it doesn't work, it's it's gonna be flat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, his artwork really is at home in this space. I could easily see him doing Green Lantern or something, you know, it just has that fit to it. You know, how did you guys hook up doing this? You know, what are kind of the nuts and bolts of how the collaboration works? God, uh, Kyler and I have been friends since 2017. Um, Crash and Troy is funny enough, the very first thing that we worked together on, um, I believe we worked on it in 2017 and uh, maybe 18, but we did the pitch pages for it. Uh, and then it didn't get picked up anywhere at the time. And uh, so we kind of just put it on the back burner. We worked on another pitch and then we worked on a short story for that world in 2020 because um, I went to... C2E2 and I met Kyler and we had like this cop, these little Ashcan copies of, of the short story that we did together. Um, so after Dryfoot came out, uh, there was a little bit of momentum in my corner. Um, Kyler had just done some stuff with Dead with a Wave Blue World in Deadbeats. So we sent out the pitches again for Crash and Troy. Uh, it got picked up by someone we won't talk about, and then uh, the dark era, and then a lot of a lot of dramatic things ensued, and now we have the book coming out through a wave blue world, who's been fantastic. I love everybody there, and uh, it's been crazy. It, so it's like a really crazy adventure. I think like my biggest hope is like, or what I really want to do after the book comes out is write a newsletter about about the adventure of getting Crash and Troy to publication because it's been it's been nuts but you know Kyler and I met up in 2017 when we were both before either of us had a title under our belts before either of us had any real anthology stuff under our belts uh we were just two dudes who got along really well and and we worked together very well Kyler and I have a very similar sense of story uh we know the types of stories we like to tell um, Kyler and I both have like a, a background with anger problems. So doing things like with Crash was, was a really cool uh, personal thing for both of us. So uh, yeah, we have a really unique relationship and uh, we're obviously, you know, I, Kyler's like a brother to me. I, I you know, I love that guy. Uh, but yeah, it's been a, a very long road for, for us to get here, but you know, it's, it's a really rewarding when you have that kind of a relationship and 
it's just and and like I wish I wish there was like a more elaborate story between Kyler and I, but we just click. Like it's just it's just a a, a good. We just get along really well. Um, we just work together really well. We have a really similar set of background like influences you know like dragon ball z is a huge influence to kyler it's a big influence to the way that i write you know action and stuff like that um so i actually i would i would widen that and say both of us have large anime and manga influences okay um and so it's just been it's just really crazy you know we we linked up this has literally been you know five years in in, in the making uh to get the book to finally come out in august <laughs> Yeah, I don't think people quite realize who are not in the industry how long some of these projects take to really come to fruition. I, I'm I'm not even kidding. I'm about to, uh, you know, I think uh, I, I have a pitch that I started working on in 2019, and that looks like it might get picked up uh, this year. And so, like, you know, so much of pitching comics is believing in in what you're pitching you know like and and i'm not saying like you, you can't have honest criticism you know obviously nobody wants the superman knockoff you know like if you're writing superman oh he, he, actually his name is you know uh, uh super guy and he's from the planet Brypton, you know like but yeah but if you so much of pitching comics is really just timing and luck right and you just kind of have to believe in this story that you have and what you want to say with it and what you want to do with it. And, you know, tweaks every now and then going back, touching it, but you just got to hope that one day you're going to find somebody who will care or you'll be able to take it to Kickstarter and do it there. Um, but it's, it's a lot of time, a lot of patience and a lot of luck, uh, when it comes to down to pitching comics, it's, it's very, very tough to, and it's, and it's, it's tough to let it sit there. You know, it was hard watching Crash and Troy sit there. Cause you know, not even just Kyler, but Bruno, Bruno does an amazing job on the book. He's our colorist um, together. It's a beautiful, they're beautiful pitch pages. Like I can't imagine looking at those pitch pages and not wanting to pick the book up, but uh, you know, sometimes that's, that's, the way it is you know uh that that's sometimes it's there it's too similar to another title things like that but yeah if you if you aren't in the industry it's really hard to understand that like you you sometimes you're looking at like a five-year scale <laughs> for 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 getting your book from from pitch pages to uh a full release so it's it's a it's a wild thing <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Well, so is, was it the, the Kyler connection then that got you to a wave blue world? Well, so Kyler uh, and I both, well, so Kyler did Deadbeats 1, Kyler and I both did Deadbeats 2. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, with the wave blue world. So uh, I had gotten to meet, you know, Tyler uh, through working on that and we worked together pretty well. And I like Tyler. Tyler's a really nice guy. And uh, so, yeah, so we were just so happy to already have something there and uh yeah whenever the book was going through the dark times uh tyler was very supportive of the book and uh very supportive of us and reached out uh saying hey you know if anything changes you know feel free to to send it my way and and he likes the book as much as we do so we were very lucky to to, to land that well, I know you always have to caveat that it's up to how well it's received by the readers. 
but is there more to tell than just the four issues? It certainly feels like it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I would love to, to continue it, you know, uh, there's there it's a it's a big world and um i thought i felt like the first mistake i made with dryfoot is that i kind of capped it off at its fourth issue um it felt very definitive so with crash and troy i wanted there to still be stuff on the table um kyler and i have talked about what we would do if that would be something that a way blue world is interested in and and anything like that um but I guess we'll see after everything's said and done, you know, we can see if that's a, a road we all want to go down. Uh, we, Kyler and I co-own the book with our colorist, Bruno, and our editor, Hednan. Okay. So uh, obviously we won't do anything without the whole team saying, yeah, it's cool. Let's, let's go. Uh, but yeah, so those are, those are conversations that we've had. Um, those are things that we're interested in doing should, should there be a demand for it. Awesome. Well, I know you can't talk about specifically what you're doing with the DC Milestone Initiative in terms of projects or anything yet, but how's the experience going thus far, man? It's kind of this brand new thing. So how'd you get involved in it? Yeah, so uh, DC had an open call like in October of 2021 um, that we're looking for for Black, Indigenous, people of color uh, to kind of apply to the DC Milestone Initiative. Uh, it was like an essay. There was like three essays actually because it was a like a like a background about you and and like a, overcoming something in your past and then you had to do a script um and so after that I had to do an interview and then I found out that I'd gotten in um but yeah I kind of just applied and and hoped for the best uh, I, was, I was lucky enough to be accepted um but it has been a crazy experience I bet. <laughs> like, it has been nuts as somebody from like you know i i've been on the indie comics scene for six years now um two or i guess three years with any real any with any real things to show right because i won the mad cave talent search in in 2019 uh so i've only to go from that to to what dc does and the way dc operates and to see it the way that they do these things um really mind-blowing like it's it's just insane it's like a whole new world you know i'm i'm doing kickstarter books with like a lot with like two computers and i'm constantly emailing and, and a google drive and dc's like has like seven people to operate like the one thing that i'm doing with this one book and they've got seven people that handle like 30 books oh, and wow. um yeah, it's just nuts. It's just, uh, it's it's very nuts. But everybody at DC has been really, really nice. Um, they've been really, really open and very, very uh, willing, just a, a really strong willingness to, to educate us. And that's what I wanted. You know, I wanted to go in and I wanted to see how DC did it. I wanted to see uh, how, what they could show me how to better, how I approach comics as both a business and as a writer. And I got that and more. So I'm, I'm very grateful for uh, the entire experience of the initiative. It's been, it's been crazy, but I'm very grateful for it. Yeah. It's an amazing opportunity. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like the people, I'm sorry. I'm not, the, the no, people, no, no, go. The, the, the other people that got selected for the initiative are so awesome. They're so fucking awesome. Like just, just mind blowing levels of talent. And 
like you've got Julio Anta, who's already done like an image book. You've got Yasmin, who is doing uh, a Marvel Voices and Comunidades. You've got Jordan, who's doing Samurai Sonia. Um, a lot of indie people. Uh, Adagun, who also won the Mad Cave Studios Talent Search. Um, uh, and, and it's just crazy to be in a room with people like that, you know, like, and, and to be in there with people who are like, like, it's, 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 it's black and brown people, you know, yeah. like, like, uh, that's never in my life been my experience in comics, to yeah. be in a room full of people who are like me, or we have similar struggles, we have similar backgrounds. Um, it was really crazy. And, and, I'm very, very, I'm, I think that's what I'm most excited about. I'm really excited for people to see these other people who, who haven't, you know, made, gotten their foothold in comics yet, but, oh man, they're just going to blow up. They're, they're, they're all going to blow up. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited for, for everyone to see what they're, what they're all working on. Cause it's going to be great. Yeah. I mean, I love anything designed to bring more unique voices and visions to our medium. It, it's well past time. You know, and I saw you talking on Twitter the other day, and I'm going to totally fuck this up as the white guy, right? But um, I always, I always thought it was Latinx, but Latin is a new one to me. So is that am I pronouncing it correctly? Yeah, yeah, and and there's there's nothing wrong with Latinx, right? Okay. Like my thing with Latin is that I prefer to use it because it's the language, it's more Spanish friendly, and most of our people. Are come from countries that speak Spanish, and Latin X feels very Americanized, okay. and I I don't particularly, and, and it took um, a buddy of mine, L. A. Chavez, and I had a very meaningful conversation about the two usages, you know, okay. and it just after that conversation, it felt more natural and better for me to say Latin than it does to say Latin X. I do not care if anybody says Latinx. For some reason, our community loves to have this fight. I don't want to have this fight with you. I, I just want it to be non-gendered language. It's my personal choice. <laughs> but like, I'm telling you, man, someone someone heard that first part and is like already getting on Twitter to call me an asshole. But it's, it's, it's really just, it's, they're both okay. <laughs> it's just my personal preference. <laughs> and, and would you have an all latin team you know working on twin blades which is you're going to be launching on kickstarter soon so you, and you've touched on this a little bit but you know with the shape of the medium changing and and more opportunities for latin creators you know people of color and, and i always ask this and it always seems so stupid as the white guy in the room asking this question but you know are we there yet are we getting there yet Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I, I think we're getting there, but, you know, like, I, I don't think, uh, I, I don't think we're all the way there. Obviously, comics is becoming far more diverse. Yep. Um, com I would argue that comics is probably diversifying faster than any other entertainment medium, um, aside from maybe music. And, and that's because, you know, Black voices have become the predominant 
part of our of the music industry you know um i I don't think you could ever argue any otherwise but like in terms of of you know like movies and film and tv and and theater i think and like comics and novels all that stuff i think comics is absolutely diversifying at a faster rate um i i think like the the thing that really bothers me right as like a latin creator is i can I, I the opportunities I had in comics early on was, you know, oh, hey, we have this story um, that we're hoping you'll work on and it's going to be about an immigrant or it's going to be about the cartel or it's about something supernatural with with the Day of the Dead. And I was like, I don't want to do that shit. You know, yep. like I, yep. and I'm not saying those don't have no, nobody should do. Uh, there should be a moratorium on on Day of the Dead stories, right? Like, we we should we should nobody should make those stories for like a year, except people who are actually from the countries where we where we do that. Um, or like I like I celebrated Dia de los Muertos as a kid. I celebrated as an adult. If you have the honest to God part of the tra- tradition and what it stands for, you should do it. If you're going to say to yourself, "I want to do sugar schools and Mexican Halloween," you should just stop just close this, delete the word file, move on. Um, but like, and I, and I, I think cartel stories, I think immigration stories have their place. Like, I, I think those are important stories to be told. They shouldn't be the only ones. Yeah. And cause we're not all immigrants. I've lived in Texas my entire life. I was born in the United States. Um, my father was born in the United States. My grandmother was born in the United States. Um, but, and then to be fair, her father was an undocumented immigrant, uh, but we, but my family's lived in what, what, what is, been, what has been Texas for like our whole ancestry, you know, prior to when, it, before Texas was Texas and when it was Texas, we lived here, you know. Um, so I think it's like there, there needs to be a, a, a movement, like a step forward where we can tell stories that aren't just stories about immigration and, and, cartel like sometimes i don't want to tell a story that's not related to my culture at all i just want a mexican who is a space pilot or is is an adventurer or something that doesn't have to intrinsically be tied to mexico and i love telling stories like that that's why i do the twin blades um the twin blades the the most recent one that's uh, uh blood and obsidian is very much about my culture and my history but the first one really wasn't you know the first one was just fun and i i think that that's where we need to get. We need to get to the point where there can be a black character, an indigenous character, a Latin character, an Asian character, where it doesn't have to be, okay, they're in Africa. Okay, they're they're pre-colonialism. Now, like, let's just let's just move past it to where those stories have a point and a and a meaning, but they don't have to be the standard. Um, I think that's and and like because that's what the market is, you know. Um, the market is still very much in a place where the Latin stories it wants are stories that vilify Latin people or countries indirectly, right? So you're an immigrant because your country sucks shit. <laughs> you're you're running from the cartel because you're because there's a bunch of bad Mexicans, you know. Right. Um, and I'm just like not about that shit, you know. Like I, I, I'm from the border. I'm born and raised. I've got. I would love to tell something like an immigration story at some point because it was a big part of my life it was a you know even though i'm not an immigrant like it's a big part of my life it was a big part of how i grew up 
uh, I'm, I, I had a really close relationship with, with Mexico, you know? Um, and there's stories there to be told, but I just don't want to do it because I don't want to be pigeonholed this early on in my career. I, I want, I want to do dope shit with Mexicans. And then if I want to tell a serious story about the border, then we can do that. But otherwise, you know, like, let's just, let's, we don't need to make every story like that. You know, uh, we can, we can do fun shit and, and we can have, you know, our Han solos and stuff like that without having to make, to, to coddle it to, to where we're having to, to make the villains, the same people we're trying to make the spotlight, you know? Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. What other projects do you have going on? And we've talked a little about Crash and Troy. We've got Twin Blades. You got the Milestone thing going on? Yeah. Um, so Twin Blades launches July 27th on Kickstarter. Um, it's about, uh, like, I, I, I'm really, I'm a giant Western and samurai film nerd. Like, I just love, they're, they're some of my most influential films. Um so like Twin Blades, Blood and Obsidian is really influenced by that. It's it's got this lone, uh, a lone wielder of one of the Twin Blades who has to confront uh, an, what is supposed to be like a god from another another land. Um, and she's gonna. It's about vengeance. Um, it's about you know like the 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 way that I've been describing it. Right is like the first Twin Blades was really a story about. Uh, like finding that familial love and finding that acceptance in that family love that that still makes you human right like you can be confident and you still want that acceptance of your family and uh so it, it's about how familial love makes us human blood and obsidian is about how familial love can make you more it, it can make you something far greater than you've ever imagined uh so, and it's set at the Cinco de Mayo Battle of Puebla, uh, which is one of my all-time favorite historical moments. Uh, it's really, really cool. It's really, really exciting. Um, there is, it is, it is, and Julio is, is blowing up. Julio Suarez is our artist. He's doing a great job. Uh, Rocco Lang is our colorist and she's doing an amazing job. Um, we have, and it's an all Latin team, right? All, from our logo to our letterer, to our variant covers, everybody on it is Latin. Um, I'm very, very, very proud of that. And, and I'm really excited to, to bring that next chapter to everybody on, on July 27th. Um, the milestone stuff I, I can't talk about or I'll die. Right. Sure, um, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Mysteriously, you know, uh, but um, I've got a couple of pitches out there. Uh, I think 2023 is gonna be a nice big year for me as well. Um, so I hope people, you know, pay attention to that. I think uh, All the Devils Are Here is probably going to, you're probably going to see something about that in the next couple, coming months. Um, so I would, you know, keep your eyes up on that. But otherwise, man, it's it's really just, uh, it's Twin Blades and Crash and Troy this year. And uh, I will tour it until the end of it. And then and then you'll, you'll get some news on that. I'm not allowed to talk too much about that all, yet. All but, good, all good. But yeah, and then I'm working on a web comic um, that I'm hoping we'll see release next year. Uh, that is going to be completely different than anything that I've worked on. So there's there's a lot of fire, a lot of irons in the in the fire, but nothing I can talk about too plainly yet. Okay. Well, we've talked a little about comics. I want to talk about something you really love, and people on the podcast will not be able to see this, but over your shoulder, 
is the Wu-Tang Clan poster. So, right, yes. you know, having worked in the tech and management side of the business for 15 years, most of it with rap and heavy metal acts, people have that moment or experience that cements a band or group as firmly theirs, right? So what was that moment for you and them? Oh, man, I hope you're ready for this one. Okay. Yeah, hit me. So it was, it was uh, 2012, right? Maybe 13. And um, I was in college at the time. Uh, and we had to move out of this apartment that we were in. My, my girlfriend, my then girlfriend and I had to move out of this apartment. And we had nowhere to go yet. And so uh, she was staying at her dad's and I wasn't allowed to stay in her dad's house at the time uh, for obvious reasons. Sure. Uh, but um, so I was sleeping in my car and I was having a hard time falling asleep. And, and I was like, man, I'm just trying to find something to do, something to keep me busy. And uh, so my, a buddy of mine that I worked with um, was like, man, if you're, if you're looking for something like to do, you know, you should just check this out. This is like, cause I was right in my, in my life as I was turning over to hip hop. Right. Cause like I was big into metal as a kid um, as I was getting older and I was broke. I was finding that hip hop was like speaking more to me as somebody who was like, not just living, you know, poor, uh, but who grew up in a place that was rough, who, who uh, lived in a place now, like where I live now is pretty openly racist. And so like, it was, it was, there was a connection there. And so I got, they gave me 36 chambers on CD and yes, it was their iPods and everything did exist. I just, had an old ass car and so i had a 36 chambers cd and i put it on and it was it had to be like two in the morning i was sitting in a car trying to fall asleep couldn't and i listened to that whole thing start to finish and it blew my mind right like it was just so good and it's because uh, it's like the wu-tang clan's not even just about like hip-hop and and growing up in staten island and, and poor and cops and all that shit but it was about you know, they're rapping about these like great philosophical thoughts. You know, you're, they're talking like in a couple albums, they're talking about astronomy and they're talking about science and mathematics and Kung Fu movies. And it just like really blew me away. And uh, that was the moment from like then on, I was like, this is, this is it. Like, this is my shit. And uh, yeah, so that I became a Wu disciple back then um, in 2016 when my life went to shit, I uh, went back to it, you know, like, like, uh, I think and on the same way that a lot of people look at the Bible for, for hard times, I look at 36 chambers, you know, and because it just feels like I just connect with it, it makes me feel better, it, it warms me up, it, it makes me happy. And um, it's just an amazing album. And so, yeah, so the, the Wu-Tang Clan, uh, made my life better uh it it i i love them to death uh and i'm very grateful for their existence uh because it's gotten me through some hard times man it's gotten me through some some rough times and to i mean to this day i could put on 36 chambers in the car and my wife will be like god damn again you know like <laughs> again like yeah. but yeah yeah it, and i'm like yes again you know <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's amazing how art can transcend save our lives i mean that that was really the the full circle moment for for comics to me 
um, because I had grown up with them. My first three jobs were in comic book shops and everything. And I moved away from it for, for many, many, many years. And it was actually in 2020 with the lupus thing happening where I found my way back. And this was like, the, the, my mom was a, a middle school English teacher and she had instilled like this love of reading, you know, and it's something that does just constantly sustain me and, you know, God bless her for doing that, you know, but, you know, with comic books, it was something like when my life was at its darkest point, like I couldn't walk. Right. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, I had comics to help me get through. I could enter a different world, you know, for a brief period of time, get out of myself. And, and it, I, I swear it, you know, it saved my life. So. Yeah. And I mean, I, it's, and it's such a, te- like, like I a hundred percent on art being transcendental, you know, like I always tell people I'm not, a black man from Staten Island projects, but there's so much there to connect with because they're talking about a struggle that feels uniquely human and, and, and in a very way that, in a way that really connects with me personally, right? And it's like, there's such a level of positivity in the Wu-Tang Clan, you know, um, that, that lifts you up. But like, and even on reading, you know, my mom, my mom was, is an elementary school teacher um, where I'm from uh in in del rio texas and so like my mom was super into reading and and i i got books for my every birthday every christmas you know and that's that's been a big part of my life like get probably not to like a little bit to her horror because i got a degree in philosophy so she's probably like a little bit sad about that part but but like you know the way that i i read now i'm like i'm every morning i'm reading for like two hours um, you know, I break down, well, she doesn't really like movies, which is something that I kind of, I don't know where I got that from. Cause my dad hates movies. Uh, my dad can't sit still for like 30 minutes. Uh, but it's just been like a really strange, it's, it's been something that I've had my whole life is, is books. Um, I've always been a big book nerd. And so, you know, I think it's weird that I, I always think it's funny not weird, but, but, you know, my two biggest instruments are gangster rap and comic books you know like to our to a pretty passionate point right like if someone shit talks the wu-tang clan in front of me we have to talk about it right like you've got to be you don't have to like them but you have to respect them <laughs> those things have to be married in a story this needs to be in your future i i so okay riz is coming out with a new comic book and it looks amazing um, I couldn't tell you the team on it. It's called Bobby Digital in the Pit of Snakes. It's coming out from Z2 Comics. You should buy it because it's Riza and I, I love him. And I th- I'm pretty sure Dan Waters is the writer. I can't remember, but it's going to be good. Like I, I like the writer. I remember that much, but um, I was like heartbroken that I wasn't like good enough for, for Z2 to be like Jared Lujan, you know? Um, so I'm like really hoping that that at some point in my life I get to do a Ghostface comic. That that's the dream. The 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 highest of dream projects is for me to do a Ghostface comic. And so uh, that's like higher. Like it, I'm talking like it's Ghostface, right? And then Star Wars, and then Marvel or DC. Mm-hmm. Anybody, you know? Like I just it's top of the line. Top of the line for me is 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 Ghostface. Okay, I was going to ask who your favorite member was, but I think you answered that question. I love Ghost. I don't think, I think anybody who says anybody other than Ghostface is like lying. You no, know? no, no, like, no. I'll let you finish, but I, I, I will disagree hum- humbly in, in a moment. So go ahead. Because I, I think Ghostface is like, 
obviously the better one, right? Like he's had like a 30 year career. His beat choice is unmatched. He's always been able to deliver. He's got to be one of the best storytellers in hip hop. But I also think Ghostface is like the best rapper of all time. So I'm not positive that it's like a fair thing. Like I, I really do think he's he's arguably the best. If he's not in your top five, you're also wrong. But no, tell me your favorite. ODB for sure. Oh, that's fair. That's ah, because because he's an absolute force of chaos. And I have yeah. personal stories with, with this. Like the, it was. Way back when, I cannot remember the year, probably around the turn of 2000 frame, you know, I was a, a PA, production assistant, which is like a glorified gopher uh, for a Rage Against the Machine show where Wu-Tang Clan was opening, right? And ODB just wanders off like two hours before they go on, right? And, and it's my job as the gopher. And they're like, dude, you got to fucking find him. I was like, Who, I don't know where he went. You know, and this is back, you know, pagers had just kind of moved out and like the flip phone thing is in, but like no smartphones, no, I mean, none of that shit. So I'm walking around the hood, you know, knocking on doors, looking for ODB. And I end up finding him just hanging out at like the local corner shop, like just shooting the shit with people. And from that moment, I was like, dude, you were you just like this force of chaos, right? It's it's like he's he's Loki right there. And he became my favorite. So plus the, he's one of the originals. So yeah, and like one of the all-time best moments in Wu-Tang history is ODB, who thought they were gonna win a Grammy or an MTV award. And he's like gives the the Wu-Tang is for the children speech, you know? Like it's it's he's def I think like a force of chaos is the only way you could describe it, you yeah. know. Uh, no, no God, no Kings, no masters, just, just the dirty bastard. You know, um, I, I do love ODB. I, I think like, out of like personality wise, for sure, like the top dog, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, cause like Wu-Tang is also filled with like the weirdest personality set of all time. Right? Like you got o- ODB who will do whatever he wants. And then you have RZA who's like a monk, you know? Right. <laughs> like Right. Totally think- rigid. Yeah. Yeah, and then Ghostface, who Ghostface is super lax, but he's definitely like the more criminal element. Like uh, when they first, the reason he was called the Ghostface Killer is because when they first started coming out, he all of his shows he'd wear a hockey mask because he had a warrant out for his arrest. Okay, and, I didn't know that one. Yeah, and he didn't want to be. And I'm like, that's 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 hard shit, you know. And then you have Method Man. Method Man's just like the family friendly one. Oh, he's totally chill. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and and then there's like you God who nobody ever talks about, you know. But but Inspector Deck, I really like Inspector Deck too. I like all of them, obviously. I like Method Man the least. <laughs> okay. Okay. I feel like yeah. Method Man is like Method Man is like the most accessible Wu Tang Clan member. Right? Oh, he's the whitest. He and I, he, he'd kill me if I said it, but like he's totally the <laughs> whitest one. Yeah, like he went the I call it the 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 Ice Cube route, right? Like. Ice Cube was talking about fucking murdering cops and then he's in family movies and like we're like you know it's just weird like <laughs> absolutely like I was a huge 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 like your you know Wu-Tang Clan was my iced tea right yeah but back when um because I grew up in this really weird probably never heard of it you know town in Tennessee called Oak Ridge so it's like the the nuclear town so we have three nuclear power plants like within 
what it was the secret city the manhattan project like all this shit. Oh, shit yeah way back when um so at the height of the cold war when i was like growing up you know this was before like security cameras were everywhere like security cameras were everywhere in the town that i grew up in so as this like it's not rural but like tennessee white kid you know this this very street you know experience was like the total antithesis of the way you know we we were growing up but we still had that you know the the suppression right yeah with with all that shit going on um anyway it, it spoke to me and when he showed up after cop killer right body count all this stuff right i was wearing body count t-shirts at the time you know i had dreadlocks way back when um and then he's on law and order and i'm just like what the fuck yeah 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 it's it's a very strange like uh trajectory to go in um but yeah yeah like i i think method man is i i saw method man on an snl skit with pete davidson and i was like my guy come on come on like yeah come on you're from fucking like you grew up in two different fucking two like method man ghostface all of them are we're in staten island projects you know like you know pete davidson never even had a fucking dream of what those guys were going through much less as black men in in the staten island projects so yeah i don't know like i i really do like method man's solo albums his early early ones but i don't i don't like the 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 trajectory he has taken his career ghostface is like fuck it, I'm going to make a coffee company. <laughs> well, when Meth hit doing stuff with Limp Biscuit, I was just like, okay. So, yeah. Yeah, I... DMX did some shit with Limp Biscuit though, right? And that shit I'm was... trying to, like, black this out of my head. I've never heard this. I'm going to pretend you didn't say it, so... Yeah. It's dope, though. Like, it's... What? it's like I don't like anything that Limp Biscuit has done, has done ever... But I will listen to the DMX cut of of cut of Roland like nonstop. Like that shit hits. DMX, it, it's DMX. Everything right. he got on was dope. You know. Yep. Yeah. Nobody was harder than DMX. I I I think that's my my personal opinion. But... I I, how, I don't even know how you would fucking talk to DMX without being scared. That voice, man. And then like, oh man, I I loved his older in life. He's got flowers and shit. He's just chilling like. I loved that for him, you know, and because like I feel like to do it all that hard shit, you need to have like a soft as you grow up, maybe not sell out your values, but just like chill out, you know, like you you had a hard life. That's what Ghostface is doing. You know, he was talking about doing Supreme Clientele too, like like two years ago, and then that died off. Um, I don't know if he's ever gonna release an album. He keeps talking about doing one or two more, but uh he's just doing his coffee company now and and hanging out and selling coffee and i'm like good man you deserve it you know like you 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 held it up but uh man no dmx right when he was coming up was the scariest son of a bitch you could have ever imagined yeah yeah it was very weird when he moved to arizona and like bought a horse ranch or something i was like what is (laughs) so strange But yeah, before I let you go, I want to screw with Grant a little bit here. Because he was he was complaining about not being able to find good Mexican food. And I have my own personal metric, but I wanted to ask how accurate a gauge it like, really is so we can help him out. So my test is, do they sell tongue, right? I'm not a fan of it, 
but it's it's one of those things if it's on the menu i feel like it's pretty authentic so is that truth or fiction i i think that's fair right because like it feels like if you don't sell tongue you know who you're marketing towards right Mm -hmm. because like i i don't like that shit but um I don't know. I, I could count on one hand how many Mexicans I know that wouldn't eat it. You know, like, uh, I, I think my general metric is like where, where I grew up, it was, it, it was everybody spoke Spanish. If I had to order in Spanish, it was almost certainly going to bang. And as I've moved further away from the border, it's always, do they, do they take cash only? Okay. Cause if it's, if it's cash only, that's a pretty good sign. Right. Okay. Um, I, I I have not considered the tongue, but like that's a good metric though. I might start using that myself, honestly. But uh, I always judge burrito places on uh, their guisado bean and cheese, which is like a South Texas staple. Mm-hmm. That's San Antonio Del Rio shit. Shout out San Antonio. Um, but if you have a good guisado bean and cheese, then like I will be a diehard loyal customer for the rest of my life. Like if it sucks, I'm never coming back. <laughs> I have to remember that one. I don't think I'm, I have a prayer really of finding great Mexican in Florida, but. But y'all have Cubans. Yes. Yeah, like a shit ton. <laughs> and so like you could find a dope ass Cubano sandwich there, right? Oh yeah. There's a hole in the wall place. It's like just down the road that we visit oh, yeah. like all the time. Cuban, Salvadorian, like yes, but Mexican, no. Yeah. I, when I was in California, I'm pretty sure it was it was it was Argentinian. They have like a big thing with sausage because of like some German migration. Yeah. Um, but that that shit was super good. Like the one thing all Latin people seem to do really well is like cook, right? And and so I'm generally like a pretty open, but um it like when I was in Chicago, I had I, I took my wife to a Mexican place. We were in Pilsen and we went to um the Museum of Mesoamerican History, or no, it was the Museum of Mexican History, right? Um, and I, I loved it. And we walked down to this little Mexican place and I walked in and uh, I was like, oh, hey, I was, we were just going to get some food. And she looks at me and she goes, que? And I was like, oh, thank God. You know, like I got to order in Spanish. Let's do this, you know? And then it was like a big sign that's a cash only. And I was super psyched. Um, but yeah, it's it's really like, I don't know, man. I haven't had authentic Cuban food though. So you, you have that one up on me. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, there's even authentic Cuban that's like upsold for white people, almost authentic Cuban around here. So. Damn. Yeah. If I, I gotta, I gotta try that. I'm not a big fan of plantains and I know that's a big deal. Oh, but, I love plantains. I, if it was like an authentic one, I'd give it a shot. You know, they're like, they're like my favorite food, but that's not, I mean, there's there's different ways to fix plantains. Like, I like the Caribbean way to fix mm. plantains because um, they're like they're more candied. So, yeah. my favorite food in the world is like jerk chicken with like fried plantains, and like you, I could eat that every day for the rest of my life and be happy. So, damn, I'm gonna have to try it. I'm gonna have to go to Florida and get like a real one. I have a comic shop in Florida that's really nice to me, really supportive. I'm gonna make them take me to a to get a, a plantains. <laughs> There you go. Yeah. I mean, there, there's so much stuff with, with Cuban. I mean, it goes way beyond the sandwich, the, the beans, you know, anyway, mm. I, we could go, we could go on and on about food, but like, yeah. <laughs> but with, with Crash and Troy circling back. So when's the, the official release date as of now? August 17th. Okay. Okay. 
Yeah. Well, we hope it stays on schedule. We know how fucked up all this scheduling stuff is at the moment. So, yeah, it seems like we're in good shape. Uh, but please, like, call your shop. Uh, ask them to to make sure they have some coming in. Uh, try and secure a copy because if we get to go to a second printing, uh, we're definitely doing a Devil Wears Prada homage cover. Whoa. And I know. And uh, I, I, I have a verbal promise that we get to do that. So uh, please order up. We have like four, three covers in shops that you can get. They're all super dope. It's going to be really fun. Awesome. Yeah, I would, I would love to see that. That's so good. Uh, just imagine Troy in, in Troy in the dress. You know, oh, it would just be good. It'd be good. All right. Well, Jared, thanks so much for joining me today. But I'll talk about Crash and Troy, et cetera. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone should go pick it up. It's taken a lot to get this story out into the world. It's a great cheeky diversionary sci-fi. Get out of your head for a little while. Just make you smile read. So pick it up. This is Byron O'Neill. On behalf of all of us at Comic Book Yeti, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptic Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing, and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.